Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. to this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace. Today we're joined by Dr. Gleb Sipersky, an internationally renowned thought leader known as the disaster avoidance expert. They're on a mission to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases, which devastate bottom lines and bring down high-flying careers. The best-selling author of several books, and they're known for their national bestseller, Never Go With Your Gut, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. It's the first book that focuses on cognitive biases and business leadership and reveals how leaders can overcome these dangerous judgment errors effectively. They also wrote The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships. And their new book is Resilience. Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic. This book helps organizations and individuals navigate successfully the major disruption of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic and succeed in the post-pandemic world. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gleb. You're welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Alyssa. I would just like to kick things off with asking you just to share a little bit about yourself and your background and what you're currently working on. Sure. So I specialize in helping leaders concerned about resistance to change. My expertise is in risk management, decision making, and social and emotional intelligence. So that's what I focus on. And I run a consulting, coaching, and training company called Disaster Avoidance Experts. We specialize in helping transform resistance to change into commitment by fusing narratives, nudges, and neuroscience. So essentially, we transform negative emotions about change into positive emotions, helping deliver a win for leaders and their teams. And we do that through using expertise in behavioral economics, behavioral science of various sort, cognitive neuroscience, which in my background, so getting a little bit more into my background, I've spent about 15 years in academia researching these topics, including seven years as a professor at Ohio State University, so go Bucks. <laughs> Unfortunately, they just canceled our big game with Michigan because Michigan's team got COVID, and so Michigan will get away this year without another drubbing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, so I've been in academia, and at the same time, I've been moonlighting at the while in academia as a consultant, coach, trainer for about 20 years now. Yeah, since 1990, so over 20 years now. So that's I've been doing that, and then I left academia to go full time running this company, Disaster Avoidance Experts. So my expertise and our clients range from innovative startups like Outreach Corporation and others, major nonprofits like the World Wildlife Fund and Fortune 500 companies from Aflac to Xerox. So that's what I do. And my expertise is in, like I said, helping address these dangerous judgment errors called cognitive biases that cause us to make really bad judgment errors. And so what I'm working on right now, my focus has been in this year, of course, addressing COVID. So I have a new book out called Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic. 
and I've just been interviewed in the USA Today, it's the largest newspaper in the United States, on this topic about, for example, how to adapt and prepare well for the holidays and how we should be thinking about these topics. And then I had another piece in Fortune recently, another in Inc. about how do we make sure that as business leaders, you pay attention, appropriate attention to what's going on with your HR policy and how you treat people regarding the COVID pandemic, because there's a lot of issues around how people are being treated. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. And of course, my big book that I'm most well known for is Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. That's about decision-making, change management, risk management, and strategy. I also have another book that just came out this year, called The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships. That's about communication, which is so important in effective change management. So it's a little bit about, about me and my background, what I specialize in. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into a couple different topics, but I really want to talk about bias first. Um, one, if you'd be able to just define what that is and what that looks like for us and how really that can impact our interactions with others. And even as we're talking about the, the COVID time, how maybe you've seen that appear most recently, whether it's virtual work or, or kind of in that space. So one, defining what bias is and mm -hmm. how it can show up in our workplace, specifically now really during this pandemic. Sure. Happy to talk about that. So let's talk about bias. And I want to be careful not to use the colloquial definition of bias because there's kind of, you know, different people throw the word bias around everywhere. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the science on cognitive biases. So I come from a very clear scientific perspective, behavioral science research, decision sciences, so cognitive neuroscience. And in that field, what we talk about when we talk about bias, we specifically talk about cognitive biases. That's a specific topic. You can look it up on Wikipedia. You'll see a list of over 100 cognitive biases out there. And these are the specific dangerous judgment errors that take us away from the ideal decision making. Now, we cert there's certain ways of achieving our goals. So whatever goals we have, whatever values we have, there's a certain path that will take us there. I'm not talking about which goals, you know, which goals that depends on your value set, what you care about. But how you get there, that's kind of a strategic tactical question. And there's one perfect way of getting to your goals. Now, unfortunately, the human mind is designed in such a way as to not steer us into the right direction, as we see from so many people making so many bad mistakes time and time again. And they make these mistakes because of cognitive biases, because of these dangerous judgment errors. Now you'd wonder, why do we have all these screwed up thought patterns, all these dangerous judgment errors? Well, that comes because people have been taught to trust their guts, go with their intuition, follow their hearts, you know, be primal, be savage, like Tony Robbins says, it's one of the gurus who tells us that. Or let's say Malcolm Gladwell, who tells us to make your decision in the blink of an eye in his famous book, Blink. Right? Those recent research in neuroscience has shown that that's unfortunately very bad advice because our gut reactions, our intuition, how we feel comfortable going forward. You know, what does it mean to have your gut reaction? What's intuitive? It means that you're comfortable. It means you feel something's right. So you feel certain information is true and you then believe it's true, regardless of whether it's true. You feel a certain course of action is right and then you go with that course of action, regardless of whether it's right. Because our gut reactions are actually not adapted for the modern world. The modern business world, I mean, consider the internet and all these kind of complexities. Social media has really been around since 1990. We haven't had time to evolve for that. Our gut reactions are wired 
are inbuilt in us from the savannah environment. When we lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people, and with hunt were hunters, gatherers, and foragers. So there are a number of patterns that come from that environment that we still use, our gut reaction is still triggered by in the modern environment. So for example, tribalism. We needed to be very tribal in that environment in order to survive and thrive. We needed to very much orient toward people who were just like us, who had our values, who, were, who we feel connected to because otherwise we'd be kicked out of our tribe and we'd die. <laughs> and we noticed we're the descendants of those who didn't die. And we needed to be very hostile to those people who were from other tribes, because otherwise they'd take over our tribe and territory and kill us. Well, they didn't kill us, otherwise we wouldn't be here, right? So we were the descendants of those who were sufficiently hostile to others. And so this is one way that it, that is a problem. And of course, you have all sorts of discrimination that are highly problematic in the modern workplace coming out of that. So all these isms, whether about ethnicity, appearance, accent, obviously I have an accent, whether about religion, political values, that's kind of one dynamic that comes from that environment. And those cognitive biases are called the halo effect and the horns effect. So the halo effect is when we like one characteristic of someone, when it feels like they are part of our tribe, we'll tend to give two positive evaluation of their other characteristics. Then if we dislike one of their characteristics, that's called the horns effect. And that's kind of the opposite tribe when we feel like they're from another tribe, that that's a big problem for us too. We tend to dislike all of their other characteristics. So we make bad mistakes around that. Now. The way that it comes out right now is not simply in discrimination, although that's definitely been an issue. I mean, a lot of companies are right now making sure to address, I mean, if just in the news right now, the Cleveland Indians are changing their name from the Indians, obviously it's a discriminatory term, to something else, which I don't know about right now. Or you might've heard that Google fired a very prominent AI researcher, that that is a big, big problem, who is African-American and of a woman. So this is a very much problem. She, her name is Dr. Tim Nidgebru, and she was fired in a very rough way, in a very unfair way. And there's a lot of protest of Google right now. And, you know, Google's motto is do no evil, right? And the, this is something that really harms its reputation to fire someone like that for pretty much no reason. And very in a very upsetting situation so that's something that really harms companies right now they're not thinking about it makes it much more difficult to address halo effect and horns effect the fact that we're working virtually because there's so much so we're talking about the modern context right working virtually dehumanizes us from each other we feel disconnected and so we're much more likely to fall into the horns effect and the halo effect because we are so distanced from each other so this virtual environment makes it much more difficult to address questions of discrimination because of this distancing. We feel even less connected than we did before in the workplace. That's kind of one aspect of what's going on in the modern world. And another aspect of what's aspect of tribalism that I think people really don't pay enough attention to, especially from an HR perspective. When you think about humanizing your workplace, right? Kind of that's the title of the podcast. Mm -hmm. when, we are in the, when we are in the workplace, we naturally create bonds. So we you know, met, meet around the water cooler and we chat about, you know, what's going on with you? What's up with your kids? What are your plans for the weekend? What's, you know, this, the local sports team, you know, go Bucks, right? Kind of all of, the, all of that stuff. We naturally connect with each other. And right now people are feeling a lot of what they call Zoom fatigue, you know, virtual burnout, work from home burnout. 
And they're thinking it's because of Zoom, it's because of video, it's because of that. But that they're wrong. People notoriously, so for people, when you look at the research on what makes people feel happy and connected, they are very often wrong. So we are very, very often wrong on what will make us feel happy, what will make us feel connected. And we don't realize that what is happening when you use the term Zoom burnout, that's not what's really happening. The underlying dynamic that's feeling that is happening is that we have an expectation that having a Zoom meeting will make us feel as connected as we were. We, and it's an internal expectation. It's not a logical one. It's our gut reaction. That's what we feel. We have this expectation that, hey, we should get fulfillment from connecting and from the workplace. Because previously, when we worked in person, we got a lot of, I mean, the main way that Americans get fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life is in their workplace. So if you look at the research on meaning and purpose on the behavioral neuroscience, behavioral economics and cognitive neuroscience of meaning and purpose, that's how we get fulfilled. But the workplace is a major source of fulfillment. And I hope HR folks know this and leaders of all sorts know this, but the, in, the, in the modern environment, what we are in is a crisis of unfulfillment. And that, so people who are trying to address Zoom fatigue and work from home fatigue, they're doing it wrong. They're fundamentally doing it wrong because they're targeting the wrong issue. It's not about Zoom fatigue, it's about fulfillment. And you can address meaning and purpose and fulfillment issues through specific strategies, which I'm not gonna go into right now unless you ask. But you can definitely do that, but that does not involve, that does not involve addressing Zoom fatigue or you know, trying to bring back people to the office in a risky manner. There are definitely ways of getting it virtually. So that's kind of you know, one dynamic. And I'm gonna stop there, but there's a lot more I can talk about uh, how cognitive biases are expressed in the modern world. Okay, I definitely want you to give us some one practical examples of, of continuing on what, what you were mentioning about what we can do, not necessarily to address Zoom fatigue, but to address some of the biases and things that are happening, like practical strategies and things leaders can do. Because in, I definitely agree with what you're saying with a lot of it, but I will say I do notice a more human factor, even the fact that we're virtual, I think because we pulled the curtain back a little bit, so you can be a different person at work than you are at home, and now you're, you're home, right? People are seeing and hearing kids and dogs barking, and you're in people's houses, so to some extent, I think it does bring a little bit more human. Now, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the the disconnect, right? You're on your own little island in your own little space. So it's hard to, to build those relationships or have that. So I would love to hear what, what practical strategies you have for, not necessarily, it's obviously not Zoom fatigue, it's more of passion and purpose and, and bringing people to that connectiveness state and, and how that really goes into bias and how that goes back to your original kind of definition of, of bias. Sure, happy to. And first, I'm going to push back a little bit about the meetings. So, you know, it might feel that people in the background and kind of like seeing their background and so on, seeing their kids is connecting. When you look at the research on what actually causes people to feel connected, it'll be, it's very interesting and it's counterintuitive. This is why I'm saying a lot of the stuff is counterintuitive because we feel one way, but the reality is another way. <laughs> When you see that you have, when you have more meetings, the people who have more meetings on Zoom, they tend to feel less connected, less engaged. And here's the reason. We expect, it's about their expectations. It's about what we feel we should get from work. We feel that more meetings should cause us to feel more connected, but they don't. They don't feel, they're not nearly as connecting as our emotions or it's our gut intuitions as our heart expects them to be. And therefore we feel increasingly disappointed the more meetings we have. 
So one of the ways to increase feelings of engagement is counterintuitively actually have less meetings. <laughs> and I agree with that. And by no so means am I saying, and I agree, by no means am I saying you should have more meetings. I think so, yeah, so, there's too many, right? It's our natural default um, mm -hmm. to schedule more meetings, but you do need to have that interaction in some yes. way, right? You do need it. And that's, so here's the key. You don't need to have it through meetings. You need to have it through a different way that our emotions, our gut reactions are not used to expecting this to be a high engagement environment. So what works? So I've done a number of strategic pivots for companies on addressing this issue with fulfillment, meaning and purpose. And what you want to do is make sure that you have a way that people can hum connect to each other in a human way, in an institutional way, way that they can do it repeatedly in a daily way that does not require virtual interactions. So one way that's definitely something wise to implement. I mean, right now, I hope that your company, whatever company you're working within is using collaboration software like Trello, Asana, Microsoft Teams, Mondays, you know, not endorsing any particular software, but all of these softwares have a venue, like let's say a Trello card or a Microsoft Teams channel or a Slack channel, same thing on Asana. You have a separate venue, which is called the morning check-in, where just it's devoted to whenever you, you sign on at work in the morning, you just check in on how your day is going, how your mood is going, what's going on at home, uh, something that you, everyone, uh, relatively few people on the team know about you. And this is, by the way, for each team. So maybe six to 10 people, however many people are on your team. This is team-based, not kind of for the whole company. So six to 10 people and then of what you're planning to work on that day. So those kind of five things, those five things, and then you respond to somebody else who engage, who you respond to three other people who do their morning check-ins. That creates an immediate sense of tribal connection. You are seeing the people, what they are, you're kind of reminding them. It's kind of like a virtual water cooler function, kind of be, oh, you meet over the water cooler, you chat what's going on. So that replaces some of these, this virtual water cooler, it humanizes you, it, cause you to engage with somebody else, you know, share pictures, share whatever of things that you're doing at home. And that it, you don't have that expectation. Your emotions don't have that expectation of this being as fulfilling and connecting. And so that's actually quite a bit more fulfilling and connecting than a meeting. That's one. Then you should have another venue separate from that, just called for daily chat, where what you do is you chat uh, whatever you want every day, your daily activities. So whenever, kind of that's a voluntary thing. The first thing is an obligatory thing. The second is a voluntary. And that just people chat with each other all day on kind of another Trello card or Microsoft Teams channel or something like that. So that's another thing that you can do. And that's been shown to be effective. And I've done that quite a bit. The third thing that you can do, and that is something that you want to encourage people to do, but you don't want to force them to do, is have the Zoom audio, not video, open while you're doing work so that you, you can chat to each other. One of the most difficult things that people are losing right now is a sense of being mentored and quickly answering questions to each other because it's a lot of hassle to kind of, when you have a question, send a message, it's asynchronous, get back. What you can do, you can have Zoom or whatever Microsoft or whatever Office the, the Microsoft Teams connection open. You don't want the video open, but you want the audio open so you can chat to each other at least some of the time during the day. So that's kind of been something that's quite effective. And this, these are things that don't talk to our emotions about 
connection. We're not feeling that these should be as connecting as in the workplace. So they're actually quite a bit more connecting than a lot of things that people are doing. So those are some things that I can recommend that address our need for tribalism, our need to feel connected, to feel engaged. When you look at research on meaning and purpose, there are three ways that people get meaning and purpose. One is self-reflection on meaning and purpose. And that's, that's not something that this, uh, these three activities do, but you can certainly get that in there and I can talk more about that. The second thing is feeling that you're connected to other people and this certainly helps. The third thing is that you are part of something bigger than yourself and this does the, these activities that I mentioned do help with that. So that's the, those. That's kind of the research-based strategies to address those feelings of disconnection. Now, I can talk about another thing that you can actually do to address these cognitive biases more broadly in making your decisions as well. But that's kind of, uh, to answer your question on meaning and purpose, that's what would help address meaning and purpose in this modern environment. And can you briefly elaborate a little bit on bias? Because I do want to bring it back um, around to where we started and how and how that's happening. Yes. So cognitive biases, again, that we talked about one specific example and what you do to address these cognitive biases in this one specific example of the workplace. But where cognitive biases lead us fundamentally wrong is in addressing risks and making good decisions. And of course, that's one of the ways that they, they lead us wrong in regarding meaning and purpose and making good decisions about how you address those. But I'm going to tell you a quick and effective strategy that you can use to address a lot of cognitive biases at once. And that's asking five questions to avoid decision disasters, risk management disasters that you should ask about any decision that you don't want to screw up, whether it's a moderate daily decision like writing an important email or if it's a decision that you want to make a serious decision about, let's say a key hire or a major project that you're launching, these five questions, and they can take only a couple of minutes to do for a daily decision, or of course, a number of hours, an hour or more, or even some days for a super major decision. So first question, what important information didn't I yet fully consider? So what evidence didn't you address? We have a tendency to look for evidence that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. That's called the confirmation bias. And that's a very dangerous bias. So you want to look for information that address that disconfirms your beliefs. Try to prove yourself wrong. If you can't prove yourself wrong, you're, you're much more likely to be making a good decision. And if you can't prove yourself wrong, then you won't screw up your decision. Second, what dangerous judgment errors didn't I yet address? So we talked about a number of dangerous judgment errors, the confirmation bias, the halo effect, and the horns effect. My book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, talks about the 30 most dangerous judgment errors in the workplace and how to address them. So by learning about them, you'll be able to quickly run through them in your mind and see which ones might be applicable here and avoid those dangerous judgment errors. Third, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So think about that little angel on your shoulder. What would they suggest you do in this situation? That's very useful. You get that outside perspective. Fourth, how have I addressed all the ways this could fail? We tend not to think about failure. We tend to think about success. So you want to make sure to think about failures and risks as well. Finally, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? What would cause you to change your mind? It might be a time point. You, know, you look at a certain period of time and then say, I'm going to change my, I'm going to revisit it after a couple of weeks. Or it might be, I've got to get certain new information. So, you know, let's say you're sending an email to a client and the client responds in a way that you don't expect. So then <laughs> that's when you change your mind. So those five questions would be very helpful for making any decision 
to address a lot of cognitive biases at once. Perfect. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Club. I appreciate all of those nuggets of wisdom, especially those last five questions, because I think they're just really practical and something we can do before every decision. And before we end this episode, I just want you to be able to share your contact information or how people can get in touch with you if they're interested in using your consulting services. Happy to. So the folks can go to my website called disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Dot com. And if folks want to get a free sample of my work, they should check out the eight video-based module Wise Decision Maker course at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. And that has an assessment on the 30 most dangerous judgment errors that I mentioned as part of the course. And in general, it's a very effective course to make help you make the wisest decisions. disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Awesome. Thank you again. And to our listeners, if there are any questions that you want to be addressed in a future episode, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Alyssa Carpenter. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.